Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to another week of Chasing Frets, and I'm joined this week with by Andy Ellis. Hello there. And uh, I'm so excited to have one of my personal all-time favorite guitar players uh, joining us this week, and that's Joey Landreth. Yes, an amazing slide player, and our first episode is about open tunings, and Joey let loose with some strategies, I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm not going spoil to spoil this, but... You have to listen. It is the most revealing strategy for how to understand open tunings that I have ever heard. I'll, I'll spoil this. It's not a strategy for only open tuning. This mm. is a strategy for how to get your way around the fretboard and recognize shapes. And, and even in open tunings, Andy, mm -hmm. in a way, even though the shapes are different, the concept relates back to like the cage system where you take mm -hmm. chord shapes and expand from there. Now, mm -hmm. obviously in an open tuning, the chord shapes are different than in standard tuning, but mm -hmm. the underlying concept is still there. Mm -hmm. And he also goes into modes as yep. well. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's, uh, you got to listen. Yeah. Let's do it. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in today's episode that you'll want to uh, make some mental notes for your next practice session. Yeah. So uh, you can hit us up at chasingfrets at premierguitar.com. And uh, so we're going to hit right, get right to it. So here's our first episode with Joey Landris. All right, Joey, thank you so much for joining us this week and being our, our guest of honor here on Chasing Frets. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Good. So, How's life up in uh, Winnipeg, right? You're in Winnipeg? I am in Winnipeg. Thank you for remembering. Mm -hmm. Thank you for not just saying Canada. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that. Uh, we're doing great, man. Uh, uh, things are weird. Uh, yeah. Global pandemic is is scary. Um, Winnipeg is a pretty small spot, though, so it's it's we haven't been hit super hard by it. I mean, pe people have been sick and people have died, but it's nothing compared to some places, so we're very, very fortunate. And, you know, just... Just laying low, yeah. hanging out, yeah. trying trying to trying to be as creative as I can, and uh, hang out with my wife as much as I can because I've never been home <laughs> off the road this long, like yeah. ever in my yeah. adult life. So wow, well cool. Yeah. Well, we are we are thankful that you took some time away from her to uh, to hang out and get nerdy about guitar stuff with us. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so today's episode is going to be uh, about open tunings, and it's something uh, you've come to be known for in a way. Um, so can you tell us a little bit now? I know you've come to the office before we found out some various times, so I'm going to probably ask some questions that I just, I kind of know the answers to. 
you know? <laughs> so, uh, but you play pretty much strictly in open C, right? Yeah. Yep. So can you, and you have a guitar in your hands that we're going to be able to hear. So can you walk us through specifically what that tuning is and how you got started with it? Yeah, so I, I originally started in open E, um, being a big Derek Trucks fan, Sonny Landreth fan, although Sonny uses like a billion tunings, but I think I think his kind of main one is open E, maybe I could be right, or open D. So I started messing around with that. A lot of my favorite slide players were using that tuning. Um, and uh, um, so th that tuning is intervallically one five one three five one low to high um it's also the same thing as if you play an, an e chord in standard tuning and just drum that um and then i landed in open c because a, a really good uh friend of mine a uh, guy named james robertson um affectionately known as champagne james champagne james robertson um Ooh, that's nice <laughs> we, yeah i know i mean i like why how is my name you can't have a, how come you it. can't have a cool name nickname like that joey i tried so hard like like Snake, Eagle, uh, Rex, I don't know. It's never stuck. Just I'm just blame my parents for naming my brother and I after our mechanics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my children, you know, we're going to name them as weird things as we can. So then they'll, they'll stand a chance in the music business, I guess. Um, uh, anyway, weird tangent. Um, I was playing at a festival in northern Saskatchewan uh, called Nest Creek. Beautiful little spot. And James was playing with an artist named Lindy Ortega, who's a really, really great sort of Roots Americana artist from up here. Um, she's originally from Toronto, but I think she lives in British Columbia now. But um, uh, he, he, had, he was standing side stage during our set and you, you know, just came up to me after the set and said, hey, nice plan. I, I enjoyed that. And we, we got to talking and um, I had my old deluxe, my old 66 deluxe with me. And we, you know, we got to be, we got to be friends kind of quickly. And I, uh, I just said, Hey man, I, I, I got my old deluxe here. Do you want to use that for your set instead of using one of these crappy backline amps? And, uh, he had said, Oh man, I'd love to, but just forewarning you, I use, I use like a pretty low tuning and I, you know, I would hate to blow up your amp, but you know, it, I guess it might be a, it could be a risk. And I was like, nah, it's this thing, this thing has lived this long, go for it. And um, so he played his set and he was, he was playing an open C with baritone strings on a, on a, just on a, a regular scale length uh, Telecaster. Um, and uh, it blew me away. I was just totally floored. And um, after his set, we chatted and hung some more and he said, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning? Are you playing? at all and said no he said well let's let's hang out backstage and jam so we played and and we exchanged guitars um during the jam and he gave me his open c guitar and i gave him i think at the time i had a my my Duesenberg fullerton tv i think was what i was playing and uh and i was just taken with it and you know a few weeks after um that gig i just couldn't stop thinking about it and so i took uh, a friend of mine had built uh, a cooter caster which wound up being my main guitar for a little while and um I filed down the nut with a nail file <laughs> just cause like, you know how it is. You're so impatient that you just like, I, my dad is a, is a luthier and repairman could have easily taken it to him, but I was like, no, I have to do this now. So I filed <laughs> up the nut with a nail file and put on a set of baritone strings and I haven't looked back. We, I took that guitar on tour. Um, like literally two days later, we were playing in Philadelphia and I was like, man, I feel like this open C thing was a mistake. I'm going to put, I'm going to put my normal strings back on and tune up to E and I did that right before oh, no. the set. Uh -oh. And 
No, 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 no nothing bad happened. Like, I, I'm pretty good at tinkering with my guitar, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about having to set stuff up. But I played one chord and was like, no, I can't do it. And I put the old strings back. I put the baritone strings back on, and I haven't, I haven't played anything else pretty much since. Wow. So that, that's kind of the story. And uh, Champagne James, I think he got the idea from, I can never remember the guy's name, but there's a Nashville slide guy who plays in open sea. He plays at the Bluebird every week. Mike Henderson. Mike Henderson, thank you. Yep. That's the guy. And I'm pretty sure that's where James got it from. Hmm. So Mike Henderson begot Champagne James, who begot yours truly. And um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of the story behind that. And there was nothing really that drew me to it you know, I think a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, is it is it better for your for singing for, you know, it's like, no, I just think it sounds cool. Like I still play in all the same keys. Um, playing in F sharp is a pain in the ass. But, um, you know, it's uh, it, I just like the way it sounds, you know, when you huh. great. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel about it every time still to this day. <laughs> Um, you know, so I'm watching you. We're doing this, you know, with Zoom so I can see your guitar, which, of course, the audience cannot. So let me see if I can describe it. It's a gold sure. top with P90s. And I know it's a custom build. It's not a, you know, an official gold top. But uh, back in 1968, I bought my first Les Paul. Oh. New. I wasn't paying collector bills, you know. No, 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 no. I, I went down, I was in Boston, I went down to E.U. Wolitzer and bought what they told me was the last gold top in Boston. And this no was way. 1968. They chased uh, all the gold tops out of town in 68. <laughs> Actually, you know what it was? I bought it in 69. It was a 1968 re, uh, model because Gibson had retired the Les Paul. They, they weren't making Les Pauls. They came back with this, this you know, with the P90 right. guitar. Anyway, it was 450 bucks with a hard shell, you know, the plush. <laughs> and <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> so that's what it looks like you've got. You've got the, you know, the, the same kind of inlays and, you know, um, binding on the fretboard and keystone tuners and, you know, except you have a wraparound. Mine had, um, you know, it had the... St- a typical stop tail piece. That's one change that Gibson made. Anyway, right. my my question is that you, you're in C tuning. You just played us this beautiful, growly, big, girthy sound. And do you have standard scale on that? Standard scale length? Yep. Yep. So that's the yep. Gibson t- t- 24 and 3 quarters ish. Absolutely. Yeah. The guy who built this guitar is. Um, an incredible nerd and um (laughs) so every every single detail that needs to be there is there so the scale length is exactly the same the um uh yeah like you said the the tuners are right um the the back plate the control plate yeah is 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 made out of um uh 50s bakelite the switch tip is made from 50s catalan rod like the whole thing, he's just, he, he, can't, he can't help himself. And we actually, um, as a lot of people know, intonation is tricky with rap tails at, mm. at the best of times. Um, and that was the one thing with this guitar that I struggled with was, you know, um, with the stock straight tailpiece, the intonation was pretty brutal. Um, and then we tried a compensated tailpiece, which generally are sort of the lightning bolt thing is... Um, 
was I guess I guess brought into play because people were using plain third strings. Mm -hmm. So when I, I tried one of those and Alex said, I don't think it's gonna work. And then I put it on the guitar and it and it made it worse. <laughs> um, because I use a wound third. Um, but I noticed that when I intonated my guitars with adjustable tailpieces, the intonation curve was really, really different. And if didn't matter if it was a fender scale length or Gibson scale length, the the intonation curve was mm. roughly the same and very different than your standard tuning mm -hmm. intonation curve. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I said to Alex, I think, I think, I think I need an adjustable tailpiece on this. And he was just like, ah, oh, I'm heartbroken because they look so bad. They don't look error correct. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, 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 I ended up buying a, a few of them and I just, I couldn't get over the how, and I hated this because I, I, I'm kind of, I'm one of those guys that like, I love all the purist stuff, but I also kind of hate it at the same time. So I hate the idea of sacrificing functionality for sort of uh, nostalgia, if you will. But mm. when I put these adjustable bridges on, they just didn't sound, it did the guitar, it kind of gutted the guitar. Still sounded great, but it just didn't sound anywhere near as good. And it was like this, <laughs> this memory I couldn't let go of. So Alex and I, um, went to work and um, managed to uh, get a, a gentleman to uh, design us a CNC file out off of the measurements that I took off of my callings, which is the same scale length, but of course has an adjustable tailpiece. And then, so I don't know, you probably won't be able to see it because the camera is not that good, but this is actually a very, very, very custom tailpiece with um, uh, uh, an intonation curve that looks more like an EKG than uh, uh tuning on uh, intonation for a guitar but it's it plays in tune about as well as you can get it to play in tune you know and i also made a few adjustments to it so at the 12th fret it doesn't actually intonate perfectly but that's that was to allow for a little bit of slippage sort of around uh the seventh and ninth fret because when it was perfectly in tune at the 12th um it it's it was pretty out of tune in here in this position mm -hmm. um which is a which is kind of a well i mean i use i use most of the neck but I, I i spend a lot of time so having it be out of tune was just not an option so we kind of cheated a little bit um and uh but it's yeah it's that's nerdy stuff man it, no that's <laughs> exactly what we all live for man. yeah right? <laughs> but it's like it was one of those things that like i didn't notice for the first six months of playing the guitar and then i was on, i was on a session and was like oh Man, that take was great, but that but it's just a little out of tune. Let me get it again. Like, you know, extra yeah. tune the guitar, play it again. Damn it. It's out again. What the hell? Check the tuning. Oh, the tuning's fine. Oh, the intonation. And then once I noticed that the intonation was out, I couldn't unnotice it. And then it was just like anytime, you know, then I was doing like this kind of thing. You know, like yeah, <laughs> bending yeah. bending the strings around to try and get them to play in tune. Which I actually got pretty damn good at. Um, Amos Garrett does it really well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Amos is a is a bit of a hero in our house. My dad, my dad toured with him for a very short amount of time. He played a handful of shows with Amos. So, wow. And he he uh, he played on my dad's record in in 1990. Cool enough. I've never actually met him though. Oh man. But so when you had this revelation at this festival and decided Open Sea was the way to go, now did that? parallel your interest in slide guitar or had you already started playing slide guitar before devoting yourself to open sea i had already started playing yeah. yeah so i really started playing uh in open tuning and it started with open e of course um as i mentioned before 
probably around 2008 or 2000 and no, it would have been a little bit earlier, 2007. Um, uh, and I had been interested in slide guitar before, but I didn't like identify as a slide player. It was just mm-hmm. something that I did a little bit of. Um, but then I got a, I got a call to, to play dobro on a tour and mm-hmm. somebody said, oh, I hear you play dobro. And I didn't, but I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I went, to, yeah. <laughs> I, went, I went to Long and McQuaid, which is the Canadian equivalent of Guitar Center, and was like, hey, what's, the, what's this nicest sounding resonator? What's the, what's the most accurate sounding resonator you guys have? And it was like this $350 Dobro branded, I guess Gibson made Dobro brand Hound Dog. Yeah, uh, I which, remember those. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was actually a rocking guitar that I, I toured with for many years after that. But So that's kind of what started on the open tuning thing. And then around that time, um, I was kind of phasing myself out of being a side person, and I'd, I'd, I'd sort of flown the idea of starting a band with my brother uh, across my brother and say, hey, what do you want to do? You want to do this? And, um, and we just, because I'd spent the last couple of years touring almost exclusively on that little dobro, um, I was just writing songs in that tuning. Um, and I didn't really have any intention of making a switch necessarily, but it was by the time we had written all the songs, they were all written in that tuning and um, of course, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not like, not like you couldn't play those chord changes in standard tuning, but it just fit. And so I just stayed there and uh, wound up sort of eventually phasing out of playing in standard tuning. I still do play in standard tuning from time to time, especially acoustic, like strummy stuff. There's like, there's no real substitute for a good old fashioned cowboy chord, but yeah, right. um, yeah exactly, exactly. Just for the audience at home, Andy is uh, strumming with a <laughs> waggy head. <laughs> <laughs> and and a pretty good C chord. I think you could see that I was Oh yeah, absolutely. Perfect technique. There's A minor right there, you know, oh. C A minor. And you know, I'm playing the House of the Rising Sun. Mhm. A minor, mm-hmm, C. Huh? Yep. You guys are mi- you're missing a show. You're missing a show here. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I like about your playing is that even though you're exclusively in an open tuning, you that doesn't limit you to just slide. I think one of the first times I saw you I, I saw you play without a slide and I couldn't, I didn't recognize the shapes you were playing. <laughs> so I knew there was trouble afoot, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. So how did you, when you decided to make the leap and say, this is going to be my thing, how did you mentally kind of remap the fretboard in your mind to kind of deprogram a little bit from standard tuning? Um, that's a, that's a great and potentially long answer question, but the the crux of it is i walked into it you know having having a fair amount of i mean i'm mostly self-taught but i but i'm but you know like anything i'm a i'm a really big nerd so i've done a lot of studying over the years so i i had i had a decent amount of fundamental theory information so triads and chord construction and scale construction yeah scale construction modes all that stuff and i i was i i really wanted to go to music school when i was in high school so i i i i did bone up on a lot of sort of fundamental the, the the stuff that you would need to in order to get into school of course i i just got a touring gig and then never looked back but um so anyways it was like uh you know i wanted there's a lot of this like sort of more robust harmony that i was missing that i had you know i had my vocabulary in standard standard tuning but it did just didn't really cross over well um in open tuning and so i i just started by um Sort of saying, okay, what what do I know, and how can I use what I know to figure out what I don't know, you know? And because I quickly discovered that trying to 
map out symmetrical fingerings and patterns and stuff. It just doesn't lay out the same way. You get a lot of really great stuff in this tuning. You know, some you know some some tighter clusters are 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 available, but um, what you do lose is like the nice symmetry of being tuned in mostly fourths. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I started with I know that if I bar across the whole, all six strings, that gives me a root position major triad. And then I know that a major scale is built from a series of whole, whole steps and half steps. So if I know that this is one and this is three and this is five, then using the formula of the major scale, I can figure out where my, you know, my two is a full step above. My four is a half step above my three. My six is a full step above my five and then a half step below my root. So I kind of went about it that way instead of trying to go like, you know, first position, second position, blah, 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 blah. It right. became my, my system for sort of mapping out the fretboard wrapped around the triad inversions. So, it, you know, my root position triad, I had a, a chunk of um, a chunk of scale in front of the triad. And then I had a chunk of scale behind the triad. So it it, it kind of it kind of went that way, and then my first inversion triad, same thing. You can you can of course think about it modally, like you know, first inversion of the major triad would give you Phrygian mode, right? The third mode, and then Mixolydian starting on the on the second inversion. You know, things like that. So that was kind of how I I did that, and then by mapping out all of the inversions in that, and that is one thing that you can do position-based is the inversions. So then the, then the, the scales wrap themselves around those, mm-hmm. um, those chord inversions. And then going through and um, mapping out relative minors as opposed to going F major, F minor, and then starting from there, I would go F major, D minor. So it was always within context of the key and it gave me um, it gave me the tools I needed to get by on the gigs that I was like, okay, I really want to play my open tune guitar on this gig, but I really need I need the fundamentals. I need major, minor, you know, dominant, diminished, whatever. I, I these are the these are the chords I need. So I need to know how to generate them. Um, and it it really um, it it exposed a lot of areas that I had neglected in my sort of learning um, in that. Obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but a lot of us know these sort of formulaic ideas. A triad is root third fifth of the major scale. A major scale is tone, tone, semitone, tone, 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 semitone. But we don't actually think about those things and put them into practice. Like I, and I, in, in the process of teaching people, I'll go, okay, play me a major scale with one finger on one string. And they go, oh yeah, I got this. I know this really well. Ah, shit. There it is. <laughs> and, that, and that's when I go, okay, stop and think about it. Like where are your half steps and where are your whole steps? I I and I want you to I want you to count along and tell me where they are as they get there. One, two, three, half step to four, five, six, seven, half step one. And by acknowledging those things, you're forced to interact with them. And now I can't I can't kind of unsee that. Whenever I play a major triad, I know that my four is a half step above my three. And my seven is a half step below my my one. You know, so even though it, it may seem like, well, yeah, that's obvious, but it's, 
it is obvious and it's not at the same time, but it's really, really, really paramount. Um, and it's a really great thing to keep your mind on because I think as long as you know where, where your root third and fifth is, you can kind of piece together anything else after that. You just have to be, you know, adventurous or creative or whatever. But, um, and here's what I love about this kind of system you've laid out, Joey. It tells me two things. One, you just got to put in the work and know the notes on the fretboard. And I find so many students want some kind of super pill or yeah. some kind of magic thing to just, you know, that. And two, the method you did, you outlined there for an open, t- open tuning can work exactly the same for a beginning student who wants to tackle standard tuning. 100%. The method is exactly the same. Yeah. There is no That's secret. Right. It's just yeah. doing the work and mapping them out in your head. That's it. And I and I think some one of the things that we 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 skip over and need to spend more time on is the fundamentals of those things. Like um, one thing I do with my students is it, let's let's learn all the major triads for a one four five up and down the fretboard. So once you kind of have that, then working through. Um, uh, you know, those are what are called closed position triads, open position triads. Uh, <laughs> here I am exposing myself. And then taking them through the whole string set. Wow. You know, and it's like, it's not... It's, it's, I mean, it, it, um, that's why I like, I like classical music so much. Cause it's just like so much of it is, I mean, even the really crazy stuff, um, is still very fundamental in its sort of construction. And I think a lot of times, like I hear people playing, um, I can kind of tell when somebody hasn't done their homework by the way that they use certain things. And a lot of times I get people going, Oh, I love all that chordal stuff you do. And it's like, it's, I'm just playing one, four, fives. I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm trying to exercise all of the different ways you could play it. One, five, one, four, one, four, five, one. But I'm just going through the inversions and the voice leading is, the voice leading is um, deliberate. So it, sound, it sounds, sounds more interesting than just going, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, and that's what I think a lot of people are drawn to like, like, Bach, and because it's just the, yeah. that that it's even though it's really, really simple in its in its construction, it's just it's very robust. Anyway, it's it's only it's only worked for hundreds and hundreds of years because it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know. What amazes me though, listening to you, Joey, is um, as you played those changes. You know, I, I understand what you're saying about the voice leading and and the open triads as opposed to the closed triads. You know, open voicings. But my, to hear it on low strings, there's this other dimension that we don't get on standard guitar. And when you started playing in the lower fret areas, you know, you were, <laughs> you were playing those voicings on fat strings. Man, you know, that's something that you don't get on standard guitar. Yeah, it, it, is, really, it is really, really fun. Um, my brother hates it being a bass player. <laughs> You know, right. like there, I, I'm Stay only allowed lane, to have Joey. so much low end coming out of my guitar amp before my brother's like, hey, get off my lawn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can play all the low notes I want. I just can't have like 50 hertz. I got to like, I got to high pass everything at like 200 and then he's a happy guy. 
So to wrap up here, Joey, one of the big questions, any people will maybe see a video you and I done or an interview or whatever, and they'll say, hey, come here, I got I to ask you a question. I was like, what? So goes, does he really use 19s on his <laughs> guitar? Because they, they find it hard to believe. And I can, as a, I can say, I've played that guitar. When you brought, when you came to the office, you brought that guitar. I picked it up and I played it, and it, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not as bad as you would think. No, and I think like the a lot of a lot of the sort of preconceived notion about that is one that my action is a million miles off the fretboard. It's not. It's yeah. it's. I would call it medium medium action. It's not low, um, but that makes a big difference to make it playable. Um, but then the other thing is it's tuned down two full steps, so it's still heavy. Like yeah. when I when I play in standard tuning, I use thirteens or fourteens. Um, but I'm also not doing like a lot of. I'm not doing very Gil- much Albert King or, <laughs> you know or like I mean? Dave Gilmore. You know? Yeah, I mean I, those like like a tone and a half. I don't even think is possible. I guess it is, but. <laughs> what? That's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, li- I limit that. I limit that just for my hand's sake. Because yeah. a number of years ago, I did a clinic with Pat Martino, and I picked up his guitar. And he's, I want to say probably like 16s, something, 15s. But in he has stand- standard in, tuning. In E. In e. That, yeah. that was way more difficult than 19s on your in guitar, C. for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, and it would be. I mean, um, the I use the Stringjoy strings, and, and Scott and I from Stringjoy, we have talked at length about you know, trying, trying to find string sets. Cause I, I do have guitars in D and in E and I, I, I really want to try and keep the feel as consistent. So we've, we've really messed around with like, okay, this string gauge tuned to this pitch is approximately this many pounds per square inch, you know? And so we try to map match them that way. But, and I, I do some like, especially over quarantine, I haven't been playing very much. So for a little while, I had slightly lighter strings on here. I had 17s, 17 Ooh. to 60. Oh. But that and that man, what a holiday oh. that was! <laughs> but uh, but I'm back to I'm back to 19. Right now is 19 to 64. Is 19 to 64. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Joey. We're so happy to have you this week as our guest. Joey's gonna be back later this week for a couple more episodes, and uh, so stick with us, and we'll talk to you guys later this week. Thanks for having me, fellas.